By her 30s, Kylie Minogue had established herself as the most successful Australian pop star of all time. But the media, well, all they wanted to talk about was her love life. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Part three. Part three. Boy, oh boy, am I happy that we dedicated three episodes to exploring one of the most iconic Australians of all time. Well, there's just too much to cover. Truthfully, as we said in episode one as well, like even with three episodes, we're not going to cover every skerrick of Kylie's life. We've really had to pick and choose what it is that we wanted to cover. But gosh, there's a lot there already. I mean, let's talk about what we chatted about in last week's episode, Mish, to give the listeners a bit of a recap, because we really did spend a a great deal of time detailing her relationship with Michael Hutchins. Yeah, exactly. The in excess front man. Now, their relationship was very quick and very intense, as we said in episode one. And Kylie's brand really matured while she was dating Michael Hutchins. We also spoke in that episode of how Kylie and Michael broke up and how when they broke up, Michael was on the floor on all fours sobbing. Yeah, we also spoke about the different iterations of Kylie's brand as a musician. We spoke about how she sort of evolved from cute Kylie to sex Kylie. And when we left off in the last episode, Kylie had broken free from her record label and her writers and producers and was trying to make music she loved that wasn't necessarily commercial or it wasn't kind of being made with the sole aim of being commercial and her fans didn't love it. Yeah, we did leave the last episode, Zara, in the mid-1990s and at this point in time, Kylie was about to confront another really formative event in her life. Her ex and one of the great loves of her life, Michael Hutchins, passed away. Let's go back to that point in history, Zara. It's 1997. Alrighty, Mish, it's 1997. And before we kind of talk about the death of Michael Hutchins, I really did want to give a trigger warning before we jump into here because this next few minutes of this conversation will detail suicide and may be triggering for some of our listeners. Now, as you mentioned, Michael Hutchins was found dead in a hotel room in Sydney on the 22nd of November 1997. He was just 37. Yeah, the coroner ruled that Michael Hutchins died by suicide while under the influence of a range of things. An analysis of his blood indicated the presence of alcohol, cocaine, Prozac and a range of prescription drugs. Now, Michael died at a time when he was really quite depressed. He was going long stretches of time without seeing his daughter, 16-month-old Tiger Lily. And the way that Tiger Lily came into the world, Zara, was a slight scandal in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. Now, what was going on behind the scenes just before Michael Hutchins died was a little complicated, but we will give you a quick summation. So Michael's partner, Paula Yates, who was the mother of Tiger Lily, was actually in a custody dispute with her ex-husband, Bob Geldof. Now, this was a pretty bitter relationship because Paula's affair 
with Michael while still married to Bob had largely played out in the media over the last couple of years. And Bob and Paula had a couple of daughters of their own. Yeah, exactly. So Paula Yates was over in the UK with Tiger Lily. She was going through this very nasty court battle with Bob Geldof over their three daughters. Now, on the morning of Michael's suicide, he actually learnt that the custody dispute had not been finalised and the case had been adjourned until December 17th. So he's in Australia. Paula Yates and Bob Geldof are in the UK with his child, Tiger Lily. And that made him very distressed, Zara. Yeah, because it meant that he wasn't going to be able to see her for almost another month later because, as you said, Paula couldn't leave the country while this custody dispute was still going on, which meant Michael couldn't see Tiger Lily. Now, Michael had a history of depression. He had been on antidepressants since December 1995, so about two years before he died. On top of this, he also struggled with substance abuse problems. But regardless, the death sent shockwaves around the music industry just because of how big of an impact he had had on the industry and how big of an impact and how widely loved In Excess was and still is. Yeah, and obviously those same shockwaves impacted the people who had been in my Michael Hutchins's life, including Kylie Minogue. I mean, despite their romance ending years earlier, they reportedly remained very good friends up until Michael's death in 1997. So Michael's funeral was attended by more than 600 people with both Kylie Minogue and the woman Michael left her for, supermodel Helena Christensen, in attendance. TV personality Richard Wilkins gave the eulogy and Michael's coffin was carried out to in excesses iconic song never tear us apart that coffin was adorned in 500 irises and a single yellow tiger lily in honor of his baby girl years later kylie actually spoke to gq magazine and revealed how she grieved his death she said i miss him like everyone misses him he was not short of charisma that's for sure she went on to say let's just say i was 21 and my eyes were open to the world you want to experience everything and i couldn't think of a better person to you know take those first steps into the big wide world with yeah I mean the the story of Michael Hutchins is obviously such a colorful and layered one and we can't spend too much time on this because we know this is an episode about Kylie Minogue but just as an aside his lasting legacy is so powerful like to think that we are here as two people who weren't around in In Excess's glory days, but we know so many of their songs, particularly Never Tear Us Apart, and the cultural relevance of that song across sport and across pop culture, even till today, is testament to just how talented Michael Hutchins was. Yeah, absolutely. And just how big of an impact to he had on Kylie's life and probably arguably career as yeah. well, given how much he knew of the industry. Now, let's talk about Kylie's career around this time because just after the death of Michael Hutchins, Kylie kind of reinvented herself again. In 1998, she released her sixth album called Impossible Princess. Now, I find this fascinating because the album was actually supposed to come out in 1997, but the label thought it might be insensitive to release an album with this name so soon after Princess Diana was suddenly killed in a car crash. So the record was also hastily renamed in the UK and Europe to Kylie Minogue for the same reason. Yeah, it's such an interesting one to look back and kind of have touch points with where the mood in the room was at any given time. I mean, to think that this would have been controversial to say Impossible Princess 
is a little confusing right now, but clearly back in the day, this would have potentially been a controversy for Kylie. Now, Impossible Princess, that album was described as a moody and sophisticated collection. Yeah, now this phase in her career actually earned her the name Indie Kylie, a label that Kylie really struggled against. Now, she told UK magazine Mix Mag, Indie is a horrible word. There was Sex Kylie, now there's Indie Kylie. I'm not Indie, for God's sake. I wanted to make a pop dance album that was commercial, but with sharp edges, if you like. I feel like there's a lot of different styles, but I hope it isn't too distracting because what I'm trying to do is find something that I can call my style. But I guess to find that, you have to go through different styles. Yeah. In saying that, though, Kylie did lean into the idea of her having different personas. In her music video for Did It Again from this album, she actually played out those four different personas in real life. So she dressed up as indie Kylie, sex Kylie, dance Kylie, and cute Kylie. And each version of Kylie was battling each other for supremacy. I think this was like the OG version of what Taylor Swift did in her Reputation music video Zara, where every iteration of Taylor Swift was battling each other to kind of like claw up the top of a mountain. Yeah, I totally agree with you because this is the first thing I thought of, I think, when I read this was this reminds me a lot of Taylor Swift's music video too. Now, fans were really divided over the album. While it actually did reach the top 10 in Australia, it was considered a bit of a commercial flop in the UK and Europe, so we are nothing if not loyal back here in Down <laughs> NME reviewer Ben Wilmot called her song Some Kind of Bliss supremely irritating. He said that Kylie was, and I quote, a total fraud, the kind of girl who steals her big brother's CDs, singing into a hairbrush in front of her bedroom mirror, hamming up proceedings without anything approaching conviction. Which is all a very florid way of old mate Ben saying he wasn't a huge Kylie fan <laughs> but it also feels a bit loaded yeah that idea of like a young girl singing into her hairbrush without any kind of conviction it feels loaded in a way that kind of is attacking her credibility that we just wouldn't do for a guy yeah I feel like it's quite snobbish of this reviewer and he's looking down on Kylie as a silly little girl despite all of the success she has carved for herself the review went on That's the trouble with Kylie's supposed chameleon-like reinventions. They never seem to have any visible effect on the girl whatsoever. Her progress from neighbour Kylie through to the sex Kylie years may have been marked by the passing of many frocks, but the Kylie beneath them is the same one who bubbled her way out of Ramsey Street a decade ago. I don't know if I'm overanalyzing this as well, but does that read to you like we're also still desperate to keep her in a box? Like, I do think we struggle with this sense that women want to change if they are like Mm. in their early 20s young and innocent and the kind of person we deem cute if they try to mature in front of us I think we have a problem with that and we find it sort of disingenuous in some way rather than an exploration perhaps of you know whoever she wants to be that's fair I think the gender element maybe plays a part I think the majority of this is pure snobbery that she was still a soap star and they will never (laughs) forgive her or forget that she was a soap star and I think that would have been the case for Jason Donovan's music career as well that's probably fair now the album made just 10% of the expected sales figures with only 20,000 copies sold within the first two weeks As we said, the press was really critical. Mixmag, a UK magazine that we mentioned before, also asked Kylie this in their interview with her. Have you become famous for being famous rather than actually doing anything? Now, Kylie replied, 
Cab drivers are always asking me, are you still making music? In the position that I'm in, I'll go to a restaurant and you're photographed going in and out of the restaurant, in and out of that club or parties. It was like no one knew that any work was being done. Yeah, it must have been very, very frustrating for that to be the public narrative that she was famous for being famous when in reality she seems quite hardworking. So by the end of the 1990s, Zara, Kylie's career was not in the best place. In 1998, she actually parted ways with her label Deconstruction due to those poor record sales that we mentioned earlier. A spokesperson said that the parting was a mutual decision, adding that it had been discussed for the past few months. Her last album had only sold a total of 47,000 copies. Now at the start of 1998, Kylie said that she wouldn't continue to make music if she had lost her musical appeal. As the BBC wrote, Kylie's fallout from her stock Aitken and Waterman years made her something of a pop casualty. She found herself without a record contract and at one point was in the public eye only for a series of ads for a lingerie designer. But to her credit, Kylie did not let this era get her down. By 1999, she had signed with Parlophone Records, who wanted to help re-establish her as a pop artist. And over the next few years, she would work bloody hard to make that happen. It was in the year 2000, Zara, that she brought out her now iconic single that I'm sure everyone listening to this has heard. It was called Spinning Around. And then after that single was released, she followed it up with her seventh studio album light years i can't believe how she bounced back oh, like this because it's incredible i would argue that this period was her most iconic work and it happened after everybody had thought that she was done like had had her career and had nothing left to give well this was the gold hot pants era yes. and when i think of kylie i think gold hot pants spinning around catchy kind of disco pop I think of the early 2000s and to think that she had bounced back from all that shit in the mid to late 90s to create this for herself is epic. Yeah, absolutely. The album was Kylie's first number one record in Australia and the lead single hit the top of the UK singles charts, making her the second artist to have a number one single in three different decades. That's quite a stat. It sold well over a million copies in the UK, but Kylie was only just getting started. Yeah, according to the BBC, in 2001, a 34-year-old Kylie turned her comeback into the stuff of legends. Now, it was in September 2001 that she released another album it was called Fever which amassed two million sales in the UK alone and contained an equally iconic single Zara in the form of Can't Get You Out of My Head. Yeah the album picked up Best International Album at the Brit Awards and Kylie landed the award for Best International Female Artist. The album also picked up several ARIA awards which are obviously still just as important as the Brit Awards. She did earn a nomination for Album of the Year. Remarkably as well, Michelle, Fever debuted at number three on the US album charts. She also received her first Grammy nomination for Best Dance Recording for the song Love at First Sight. How great. I mean, she'd been massive in the UK for so long, but to crack the US feels like, it feels like you're getting to the pinnacle of a mountain, right? Like she's kind of gotten so far up over the first two decades of her career and now in her mid-30s she's achieving the ultimate success. The following year Kylie ended up being nominated again and winning the award for Come Into My World, another track from Fever. She beat out the likes of Madonna and Cher to get there. 
This made her the first Australian music artist to win a major category at the Grammys since the band Men at Work had in 1983. Insane. And unlike some other Aussie TV actors like perhaps Natalie Imbruglia, Jason Donovan and Craig McLaughlin who had tried to break into music and kind of faded out into obscurity, Kylie had established herself as one of our country's biggest exports. Now, as Sydney University expert in celebrity culture Mark Brennan told the Sydney Morning Herald, she's just kept hammering away and hammering away. Someone summed it up beautifully by saying she embodies the rhetoric of a fair go. I want to pause for a second on that quote. (laughs) I wanted to put it and include it because it speaks so much to our obsession in Australia with this idea of like, fair go and continuing to work and like this very sort of black and white really flat way of looking at work yeah no I completely agree I get what he's saying and I get that it's part of our kind of cultural identity in Australia to have a go and kind of be brave and put yourself out there and but a fair go we're all on even playing fields yeah It's not the reality. I understand what he's getting at, but I don't agree with every single word he said for sure. Now, Zara, Kylie was at the top of her career, the top of her game. Can the same be said for her ex-boyfriend? Well, we have a story about one of her exes, but that is coming up after the break. Alrighty, Mish. So while everything in her career was going swimmingly at this point, Kylie Minogue actually became embroiled in a tabloid scandal in 2003 when her 27-year-old ex-boyfriend, a successful model by the name of James Gooding, decided to sell his story to the Daily Star, which is a UK tabloid, for a payday (laughs) reportedly worth tens of thousands of pounds. Now, she was 34 at the time. Yeah. So Kylie had been with James Gooding for three years. We would have told you about this earlier, but we do really want to focus on the career that Kylie carved for herself and only pull in the men around her when is relevant. Now, what you need to know about this little scandal is that in March 2003, James Gooding did give this exclusive to the Daily Star, Zara, and spoke at length about his three-year-long relationship with Kylie and gave reasons as to why they had split a few months earlier. Yeah, now largely what we can glean is that his decision to speak with the tabloid appeared to boil down to the fact that he was mad and jealous that Kylie danced on stage with Justin Timberlake at the Brit Awards and as part of the routine, Justin had touched Kylie's butt. I also should note here as well that this all happened after they broke up, but he did appear mad that she was dancing what sexily on stage after he wasn't in her life anymore. Yeah, and even if they were still together, it's like, it's a dance routine, buddy. Suck it up. Yeah, it's a job. Who cares? Yeah, so James Gooding was apparently very angry about that Brit Awards performance with Justin Timberlake and so went to the Daily Star and labelled Kylie Minogue, I quote, a self-obsessed, virtually friendless control freak, desperate to pursue her ambitions as far as she could take them. I fear she's going to end up a lonely spinster with only a cat by her side for company. As if all of this wasn't enough, he also just told the tabloid that he had been unfaithful throughout their relationship, including but not limited to an affair with a New York-based model and a Channel 4 soap star. He said, 
I have been lucky enough to have made love with many beautiful women, but Kylie was a really special relationship. After making love with the American model, I was racked with guilt so much so that I flew straight back to London. It's like he's trying to rag on Kylie, expose himself as a cheater, but he's trying to talk about the cheating in this like weird, boasty, braggy way as if he could get anyone he wanted. The whole thing reads horribly. Do you think this guy had such a fragile little ego that seeing Kylie and Justin Timberlake dance together made him respond by saying, well, I was... I was sleeping with all these other women. Like my masculinity is so intact because look at what a playboy I was throughout our entire relationship. I think it must have been that because like who else is going on the record being like, yeah, I am the worst. (laughs) Yeah, like I I did all these terrible things. Now, Kylie responded to the star by saying, it is sad that James has let it come to this. I just wish he'd accept that we have to move on. We had a great time, but it's run its course, even though I remain fond of him. But I can't let my life be governed by him. So classy. Perhaps one of my favourite tidbits about this little clusterfuck is that James's own father spoke to the media. He spoke to the Daily Mirror and publicly took Kylie Minogue's side. He said, James has been playing the field and has had an armful of girls, all high-profile types. He even told Kylie about his affair with the American model. So what did he expect? (laughs) Nothing like your dad, like, ragging on you too, being like, yeah, you are a bit of a dick. Now, one last great stat from this story too, this came from The Guardian, is that circulation of the paper went down even after it had splashed out an estimated 75000 thousand pounds in cash to secure a kiss and tell from Kylie Minogue's ex-boyfriend James Gooding. I love that so much that it didn't work for them even a little bit. Oh I also love that people didn't buy the paper. Yeah massively. I think people love Kylie so much they're just not here for a dickhead ex who wants to get a little mouthy. Now despite James Gooding being a bit of an asshole, Kylie's career continued strong. She released another album, it was called Body Language in 2003, and her single Slow earned another Grammy Award nomination for the Best Dance Recording category. In 2004, she released a Greatest Hits album, which was also nominated for a Grammy. And at this point in her life, Zara, she entered a really stable relationship with French actor Olivier Martinez. Yeah, but unfortunately, things hit quite a big hurdle in 2005 because Kylie made headlines after she announced that she had been diagnosed with breast cancer. Now, as the Age newspaper described, the news of Kylie's diagnosis caused, and I quote, near hysteria. The Daily Mail wrote about this. The collective intake of breath that accompanied the news that Kylie Minogue has breast cancer was audible. The words Kylie and cancer just should not be in the same sentence. It just isn't right somehow. A really interesting line, that one, that opening from the Daily Mail, because it really sort of deifies Mm. Kylie, doesn't it? To put her in this like godlike platform where she shouldn't and can't be touched by something like cancer. It definitely taps into that superhuman quality we impose on celebrities or we assume with celebrities even on a subconscious level that because they are so much larger than life in what they do and who they are and the work they put out they couldn't possibly be brought down by something as common and human as cancer 
Now, this moment in time when Kylie told the world that she did have breast cancer led to what analysts refer to now as the Kylie effect. Women started getting screened more and more for breast cancer. One Sydney researcher said that Kylie's battle could have reduced deaths by increasing news coverage and public awareness of the condition, prompting more young women to get breast screenings. Yeah, for 18 months, Kylie very understandably all but disappeared from public view while she underwent treatment. Now, Of her diagnosis, she later told People magazine, it's like the earth had kind of slipped off its axis. You see everything differently. Thankfully, she went into remission and returned to performing in 2006. And while she hasn't shied away from talking about her cancer experience at all, she has said that it is hard to kind of sum up the complexity of that time and that diagnosis in a really neat soundbite in interviews. She once told the Jonathan Roth show, it's really quite difficult to talk about it in interview situations because it's deep and it's long and it's involved and it's hard to really say what it was in a neat package. It's pretty strange. Yeah, later in an interview with Britain's Sunday Times Style magazine, Kylie said that her cancer diagnosis changed everything, including any plans she might have had to become a mum. She said, I was 36 when I got my diagnosis. Realistically, you're getting to the late side of things. And while having kids wasn't on my agenda at the time, it changed everything. I don't want to dwell on it, obviously, but I wonder what that would have been like. Everyone will say there are options, but I don't know. I'm 50 now and I'm more at ease with my life. I think you and I had a really interesting conversation about this, Zara, when we were prepping this series of Scandal. The conversation about will Kylie become a mum has been omnipresent throughout the latter half of her career, I would say. And I think I made the mistake of just assuming, well, she probably doesn't want to be a mum. Like, it's probably not on her radar. It's probably not something she wants at all. But you came back at me with that and said, well, maybe it's in between. Maybe becoming a mum was never her top priority, but maybe becoming a mum was something she might have liked to explore, but the circumstances just never really eventuated for her. We like to talk about this in such binary terms that someone desperately wants to be a mother or doesn't at all. But there is a likelihood that in the case of Kylie Minogue, she may have, she doesn't particularly know, but this loss and this experience of going through cancer would have been confronting no matter what. Yeah, and I think definitely a huge point of reevaluation when it comes to your life. I think reading through many of Kylie's quotes on this, because you're right, this has been, for better or worse, a huge fixation that the media have had on her life. I get the sense maybe that it's like it was never her top priority ever because we know how sort of focused she was in her career, almost one-eyed about it. But perhaps it is something maybe she thinks about today to be like, what could that have been like? Not like in this sort of devastation way, but like definitely imagines a parallel universe where it could have happened. And I think this conversation kind of very neatly segues into another conversation that we wanted to have, Mish, which was the media's fixation also with Kylie sort of staying in love or staying in relationships because after James Gooding was out of Kylie's life and after her and Olivier Martinez broke up, she did go on to have a few key romantic relationships and the media always covered them with insatiable interest. Yeah, and I think naturally as Kylie grew older, the tone only became more patronising and predictable. I mean, take this from the Irish Times in 2021. 
Over the years, Kylie Minogue became our version of poor Jen. By poor Jen, I of course mean poor Jennifer Aniston, who, despite a fairly metronomic succession of gorgeous and young lovers, always seemed fated to a dreary narrative, that of the lonely, perennially rejected spinster. I think... In tandem with this, Zara, one of the more frustrating things for Kylie is that her own lyrics, some of her most iconic lyrics from I Should Be So Lucky, have been flipped to kind of create the easiest whack in tabloid history. The number of times that unlucky in love is written in a headline alongside Kylie Minogue's name would be frustrating to say the least. Absolutely. And most of these headlines came out at a particularly difficult time in Kylie's life, the start of 2017. She'd been engaged in quite a high-profile relationship to actor Joshua Sass for a year and was probably more public about the relationship than any of those that came before it. I mean, I think this relationship was public at a time that when Australia was going through our gay marriage plebiscite, they were both very vocal proponents of the yes vote. And so their relationship was really in the public eye more so than I can ever remember with Kylie. At the time of their split announcement, there were media reports that perhaps infidelity had played a part and that Joshua had grown too close to a Spanish actress. Yeah, so it had that extra layer of scandal again. Now, what was so tricky about this was how quickly a narrative was spun out of that broken engagement between Kylie Minogue and Joshua Sass. Based on the headlines, Kylie was the heartbroken fiance. Many reported that she had a nervous breakdown. Meanwhile, the media was awash with reports as to how quickly Joshua Sass had moved on, the fact that he was engaged to someone else very soon after, and then the fact that he was married to another woman the following year in 2018. Yeah, and I think what's really unfair about this narrative and what it's getting at is that it kind of pushes this idea that in order to be happy, Kylie needs to hold down a stable and monogamous romantic relationship for the rest of her life without any real analysis or any real critical thinking as to whether that is something she herself wants. Mm. Like just because that is a lifestyle that you subscribe to, like surely we are so far beyond that idea that because it works for me, it simply must work for everybody else. Yeah, you would think so, but... Apparently, we've been slow on the uptake of that concept. Interestingly, in May last year, Kylie sat down with the New York Times' T-Magazine and spoke about this external pressure and expectation for her to settle down. She herself drew the Jennifer Aniston parallel. She said, I look at Jennifer Aniston, she's my age, and she's surrounded by controversy. Lucky in love, unlucky in love, all of that. First of all, who decides that? Who decides whether you're lucky or unlucky? I've never met Jen, but I would love to sit down with her and start a conversation. I feel we've got so much in common. At the end of the day, one of the greatest strengths you can have is being true to yourself. If you're in the public eye for a long time, you'd need to be Meryl Streep 24-7 to pretend you're somebody you're not. You've grown up with us. You've seen us on TV. At the heart of it all is a person and humanity. Earlier this year, she also sat down with Sunday Life for an exclusive interview where she did give some fascinating insight into her current relationship with British GQ exec Paul Solomons. Now, just as an aside, the way that they sold the edition of the magazine was to put a huge image of Kylie on the cover with the headline, Kylie, on top of the world and in love, which again proves that interest in her romantic life is still rife to sell copies. Now, what we found fascinating about this interview is the journo asked, how will you make your long-distance relationship with your partner, Paul Solomon's, work? She said, 
I am quite used to it. What is difficult is explaining it and I'm hovering around that right now because I don't have a traditional setup when it comes to my relationship. I don't have the white picket fence life. We are in a very good space and we cherish that right now. As I get older and into being myself, I don't know if that other life is for me. We use the term fluid and pivoting and I think it's important to be fluid in life too. You don't need to be put in a box, so to speak. That is dare I say, one of the most candid and authentic quotes we have gotten from Kylie throughout this entire series. I love that. Like I'm hovering around it right now to then go on to saying we're fluid and pivoting. I think everyone listening is probably on the same page with what she's probably referencing. Now, the interviewer came back with another question after that response and said, well, what does a good relationship look like to you? To which Kylie responded, at this point in my life, a loving relationship is one that allows you to be you. I currently feel very liberated to be myself. Readers will appreciate that as we go through life, we change and develop. I definitely know that I've been in relationships where I've wanted to turn myself into a version of what I think someone else would like. To reach a point where you are just yourself and encouraged to be the whole version of yourself, that is the thing to be cherished in a relationship. Just a really fascinating interview, Mm. I think. And, And as you say, certainly the most candid quotes we've ever got from her, which probably allude to her perhaps being the most confident and comfortable in our own skin than ever. And I guess this brings us to where Kylie is today. Over the years, she has continued to reinvent herself and release new music. She's one of those artists who we know is around, but I don't think many of us realise how long sustained and hard fought her career and continued success has been. Yeah, I think we've already touched on this in one of the episodes, but truly one of the things that stands out to me the most is how it wasn't linear her career wasn't linear that there were definitely times where she thought she was done other people thought she was done and as a 27 year old in you know the kind of early years of my own career it's a real relief to read that you can hit hurdles and you can think something's done and you can come back better than ever radio stations can cancel you because you're apparently so uncool and then you can crack into the american music industry and become an icon around the world 100 percent To date, Kylie, who turns 54 this year, has released 15 studio albums, 13 compilation albums, 10 EPs, 11 remix albums and two box sets. She has sold over 80 million albums across her career. She is the best-selling female Australian artist of all time. Crazy. Her most recent studio album, Disco, was released in 2020. The album also saw Kylie make history as the first female artist to have a number one album in the UK over five consecutive decades. That is a ridiculous stat as well. And in 2021, she returned to Australia after 30 years of living and working in the UK. Yeah. In 2019, Kylie Minogue told The Times, being Kylie takes a lot of work, graft and insecurity. Not always the wrapped up end product it looks like. There have been times when I've thought, I just can't, but you've got to take the knocks because they're always coming. It ain't all roses, but maybe otherwise it wouldn't be as sweet in the end. I am obsessed with her. I love her. I I loved her music before we started, but I think I probably completely underestimated the grit of Kylie Minogue before coming into this. Like she is made of something else. Absolutely. I think my respect for this woman is just like astronomical. I have so much respect for what she's done, for what she built for herself, 
from just like the life she's created. And I love that she's now in a place where she is giving that really candid insight into how she doesn't need to live by anyone's rule book. She's creating the rule book all on her own. And fuck, I just love it. Yeah, and I think one final thought that I have is to be in this industry for so long, I would hazard a guess that she'd have to treat people okay. Yeah. I don't know if you're lasting this long and getting as much publicity and press and you know still doing this well if you're not treating people within the industry well it's a long career and she must be incredibly professional too so as always guys thank you so much to our researcher justine landers hanley who helps us build these episodes out it has been such a joy doing this one yeah it absolutely has zara thanks for doing this with me thank you it's been an absolute blast even though you are in quarantine right now what a great way to pass the quarantine (laughs) i know it's been such a joy guys if you want to find us on tiktok we are there at shameless underscore podcast we are on instagram at shameless podcast where we will as always have a gallery of amazing throwback photos. But for now, we will be back in your ears next Thursday. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.